Welcome back to the Red Letter Disciple. It is episode 10 today, and my name is Zach Zender, and I'm thrilled to be joined in a couple of minutes by my co-host friend, Pastor Chris Johnson. Uh, We really hope that this podcast would challenge you, wherever you are, to be a greater disciple of Jesus, because we believe that when together all of us become greater disciples, we will be a fuller, greater, and truer expression of Jesus. And if the world could see and experience a glimpse of the real Jesus, it would change forever. And so we hope it challenges you. We hope you learn some really great things. And we hope you might even have a few laughs along the way with us. Because today we got my friend Rich Birch here, and he is here to help churches grow. Like that's his passion. He is a guru when it comes to church growth. And so he's going to share with us today the number one factor when it comes to churches that grow. Like what do they do? What do they get right? And everyone plays a role in that. And also since he's from Canada, we're going to again ask him why in the world poutine hasn't caught up in America yet. And so we're answering like all the big questions in today's episode. Today's episode, before we get to it, is brought to you by The Giving Church. They bring decades of experience in growing generosity in churches and ministries. And here's some really great news. Together, we are offering a free webinar on August 11th at 1 p.m. Central called Fund Your Vision. Don't let money limit your ministry. Phil Ling is going to join me. Phil is the president of the Giving Church, and we're going to dive into how the Giving Church has helped more than a thousand churches raise more than a billion dollars, billion with a B, uh, how they've helped churches do that. And and when they commissioned a study with more than 4,000 churches, they uncovered some really amazing data when it comes to giving and finances and generosity. And so we're going to talk about all of that. And and really, you don't want to miss this. I really believe that it could help you fund the, the vision and the dream that God's put inside of you at your church. And that's really what we want to see happen in this podcast. We want to see not just individual lives change and become greater disciples. We want to see a collection of those individuals that join together as a church or a ministry, see their dreams come to fruition too. And so uh, if you want to sign up for the webinar, do that. We're going to give away loads of free stuff there at the webinar. And and you can sign up for it at thegivingchurch.com slash red. At that link, you'll also get a free PDF already today, five ways to grow your church's giving. Go grab that if you haven't already and go sign up for the webinar at thegivingchurch.com slash red. Lastly, before I get into today's show, if you haven't already, we would absolutely be thrilled if you'd give us a five-star review on whatever streaming platform you choose. It would mean a lot to us. We actually had an email from Richard Nas. He sent it to our team the other day, and he said he said this. He said, these podcasts are so easy to watch and so content-rich, it's scary. <laughs> he said, there's so much more important compared to the negative, rich environment of mainstream media news. We need these podcasts, if for no other reason than to use our time wisely listening to people who will help us use our God-given talents wisely to spread the value of Jesus to others in this fallen world. Thanks, guys. I'm telling everyone I know about what you're doing. And I would say thank you, Richard. You are the man, and we are grateful for you. And we're also really grateful for all of our guests that have really brought some incredible incredible insights, some incredible stories, and incredible challenges along the way. So without further ado, episode 10, let's do this. Okay, we got an awesome episode of Red Letter Disciple today. My friend Rich Birch is on the podcast with us. Rich Birch is one of the early multi-site church pioneers. He's got some really cool glasses all the time. <laughs> nice. 
he's had a lot of different roles. Uh, he, he helped the Meeting House in Toronto become the leading multi-site church in Canada, uh, 15 locations, 5,000 plus people. Uh, he served in Connexus Church in Canada and is just doing amazing things for the kingdom. What I love about Rich now is he's leading a, 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 a business called Unseminary that's really helping churches reach more people and, and really executing better. Uh, an incredible podcast, an incredible blog. Uh, I love the way that he markets. I think the church can learn a lot from him there. We got a lot to learn from him. And so Rich Birch, it is so good to have you with us today. Oh, yeah. Hey, I I finally have made it. I'm going to tell my mom I've made it to the Red Letter Podcast. I, I've there peaked here, friends. This is the height. This is it. This is good. If that is the <laughs> peak, then hey, I'm sorry, man. Um, <laughs> No, but uh, we no, are happy to have you, and I'm so glad and, to be here. Uh, we're gonna have fun, and uh, yeah, we're gonna also ha have some great conversation that's gonna help a lot of people be greater disciples. So, yes. I got a question for you. I saw an email from you today, yes, and mm -hmm. you were holding a goat. That's right. Yes, thought too. <laughs> so we True. each have an idea of why you're holding the goat, and we would like to pitch our ideas to you. And I would like you to tell us who is more correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't, uh, please, don't respond until you hear both of our yeah. opinions on why okay. you're holding a goat. Okay. So here's yes. my my. My reasoning for it. I think you were holding a goat because I think you're getting ready to promote a sermon series that is called Goat Greatest of All Time. <laughs> that's nice, my, nice. that's what nice. I was thinking. Good, good. Maybe. I think completely different. I think this has nothing to do with uh, the Bible. Oh, wow. I think this has nothing to do with church planting, any unseminary, any of that stuff. Okay. I think that uh, I think that Rich, honestly, when he was about uh, in second or third grade, people would ask him, Rich, what do you want to do with your life? And he's like, well, I really like animals. I'm going to be a vet someday. And he's nice. never lost that. Hmm. <laughs> he really wants to serve people, but also help animals. Okay. Nice. Well, neither of them are right. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we were. Yeah, it's fun. We were. I was at a friend's church recently, and uh, after their service, they had a petting zoo for the kids. And so I, I'm like, I maybe have the mental intelligence of a kid. So I went in and got to check out the goats, and there were these tiny little goats. They were the cutest goats because you could oh, pick nice. them up. They were hopping, and yeah. there was also chickens. And you know, there was something in that which was the oddest thing I've literally never seen in a petting zoo. There was a turtle, which is not really petting zoo material, no. but it was a lot of fun. And like kids were like picking the turtle up, and like I was in Florida, so you can do anything like that down there. Yeah, you know, yeah. They're picking the, picking the turtle up and carrying it around and stuff. It was uh, yeah, so fun. But yeah, goats petting zoo after church, so fun. Okay, okay, that was my second guess actually. Yeah. <laughs> Remember nice. you went with the second, third grade because yeah, that yeah, you would have yeah. really known that. All right, the other here's a crazy serious off question. Off question. No, this that, is serious. Okay, okay, serious. I, I've wondered this. Yep. Because big in Canada, so I not only want to know mm -hmm. your Huge. thoughts, mm -hmm. um, but like I struggle to understand why poutine is not a big deal here in America oh. and how we can change that. It's delicious. <laughs> it's good for you. So do you like yes. poutine? And why has that not caught on in America? And great can question. It be something that churches might help with? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah. So yeah, if you don't know what poutine is, it's basically fries with uh, brown gravy oh. and then with cheese curds. So not cheese. Yes. Lots of places in America, they just put cheese on top. Yeah. But it's actually cheese curds, which is like right. pre-cheese. I don't know why it hasn't got on. You know, I, so it's funny how often it comes up. I was literally just talking with a friend and he was asking me about poutine and I was like, poutine's like a twice a year thing. You do not want to have poutine that much. Time. 
you do not want to have Putin. Well, you can, you can have Putin all the time, but you will look like a cheese curd. Like it is, <laughs> you know, it is not good for you. Uh, you know, it's, uh, but yeah, it's, I don't know why it hasn't caught on. When I lived in New Jersey, they had a thing called disco fries, which okay. was the closest thing. You go to a diner, uh, better at nighttime than in the day. And lots of places have disco fries, which is very close to huh. poutine, but not quite the same thing. Is um, there a certain time of year that you eat poutine as a Canadian? Well, so poutine came from Quebec and it is like a, it's like associated with the wintertime, although people have it all year long. And actually, so Canadians that are listening in are going to hate me for what I'm about to say. So I, you're going to lose all of your Canadian audience. Oh, all we are trying, trying to be number so one in Canada. Canada. Yeah, the 12 church leaders outside of Carrie and myself and Danielle <laughs> in Canada. Um, the uh, No, I'm just kidding, friends in Canada. So my favorite poutine is actually McDonald's. So there is Mick Poutine in Canada. Wow. And really? Yes, it is. I love it. I oh. if I if you were to say to me, "Where's your favorite poutine?" I would say McDonald's. Which again, Canadians, they're going to tune you tune me out and say like, "What? I, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about." Yeah, that's crazy. Wow, they have Mick poutine. Yes, Mick poutine. New every single episode. <laughs> nice. At the end of this show, I have written specifically a game show for you. So love it. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Well, we got to get serious. All right, Rich. Yeah. I want to know a little more of your story. Right now, you are leading Unseminary, which is helping yep. so many uh, pastors and church leaders mm-hmm. grow and reach more people. Um, you didn't start at Unseminary, so kind of walk me through the journey of how you got to that place and then tell us a little bit about, about what Unseminary does. Yeah, so I'm a church leadership wonk. I love talking to church leaders. I can talk to church leaders all day long. Um, love learning about churches. I find it fascinating. I find what we do just eternally, um, yeah, just amazing to kind of learn and to uh, grow and to try to find best practices. So over the years, way back to even when I was in school, I was really struck by how do churches grow and how do they um, make a difference? How do they impact the culture? And one of the kind of odd things that I noticed was it's oftentimes in churches, it's actually practical things that hold them back. It's not necessarily theology. It's not necessarily, are they teaching the right things? It's it's like practical small stuff. And so I started to try to gather these things together under this idea of unseminary, the stuff they didn't teach you in in seminary, because, which by the way is a lot. Yeah, which is a lot. It's yeah. true. And we have those conversations all the time as church leaders. We're like, man, they didn't teach me this in seminary. Yeah, right. Um, and so it started as a blog and then it eventually transitioned to podcasts. We're 600, almost 600 episodes in, um, which is a lot of conversation. And, and, but I feel like I could go for another 2000. Like I've, yeah. I've just am cool. always interested in learning. And so it's about trying to share. Uh, particularly things around growth, you know, the other side of it is I've, I've kind of refocused my own personal mission this year is that I'm trying to help a hundred churches grow by a thousand people. And a lot of unseminary is about that. It's about how do we talk with the kind of particularly executive pastors. So it's not really focused on, although we have lots of lead pastors that follow in really the center of my bell curve is executive pastors of churches between a thousand and 5,000, somewhere in that range to help them reach more people and kind of lead from that second seat. Because lots of times the lead pastor isn't, you know, they're not dealing with the kind of stuff that we're talking about. So um, that's really what it's all about. And I I just love it. I just find it, uh, you know, just fascinating to learn from uh, leaders and then to share that with the world. That's awesome. And you've sat in that XP seat before. Yep. 
And mm -hmm. so I would love to hear you, you mentioned from the second chair. And yep. so I think when it comes to discipleship, it's such an important integral piece of each church and church mm -hmm. growth too, as we talk about mm -hmm. reaching more people. So mm -hmm. if, if you're a second chair XP or a third chair, mm -hmm. take titles out. Mm -hmm. yep. If you're not the lead pastor, like how do you help drive a discipleship path or plan at your church? Like, what does that look like to not be the person that's calling all the shots, um, mm -hmm. but still be supportive in that role? Does that make sense? Absolutely. Makes total sense. So I oftentimes think, think that executive pastors or staff pastors, we really do live at the intersection of vision and execution. We spend a lot of time, um, but we, we, you know, thinking about how do we get those two to connect? Oftentimes the lead pastor, their role is a part of what God's called them to do is to articulate the vision. And then really our, a part of our role is to take that vision and to then work it out in, um, you know, in what we actually do, how we live out day to day, our, the, the mission that God's called us to, or the vision that God's called us to. You know, I think interestingly on the discipleship piece, although I've spent a lot of time thinking about church growth, how do we reach more people? I think oftentimes there's a misnomer there that that's all about the front door, that it's all about what do we do to, uh, it's like, in fact, I don't like the word church marketing. I, like I have lots of friends that use that term, but it, it makes my skin crawl. Cause I'm why, like, why is oh, that? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think because it's, it's about it's expert marketer. So yeah. Why yeah, is that? It's like about external. It's like about what we can do. It's like it, it, the implicit in it is like, all you have to do is run great Facebook ads or all you have to do is do this thing with postcards and then people will show up, but that's not actually how fast growing churches think the way they think is yes, we want to do a great job on, the, you know, the public stuff, the proclamation of the gospel, the demonstration of that. But then we have to build a community that ultimately moves people towards a growing relationship with Jesus. If we don't do that, we will not grow. Like those two are inherently connected together. And so, although I'm, you know, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about some of that front door stuff, equally important is the whole system of like kind of the front end of it, which would be assimilation. But then ultimately, yeah. how do we get people into relationships with other people that will drive deep the teaching of Jesus? And how do we kind of keep that in front of them consistently? And, and frankly, um, second chair, third chair, staff pastors, we have a ton of influence on that. We sure. have a ton of influence on what those pieces look like. We have less influence on the teaching. Uh, we have less influence on what that looks like, but we have a huge amount that we can do uh, to help people get connected, to see them get assimilated, to see them plugged into groups, and ultimately, uh, you know, to to see the church grow. Uh, and so, so I have a lot of passion around that, and we want to we want to keep focused on that and and keep a lot of energy in that uh, as we as we lead from our chairs. Hey, Rich, uh, second chair pastor here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right here. I've uh, been doing that for quite a while. I've uh, been in the second seat for a long time. <laughs> yes. Uh, but uh, I noticed one thing on your website. You said yep. um, on seminary.com, you said mm -hmm. that 94% of all churches are losing ground against the growth of the communities they serve. Yes. Talk about that for a sec. Yeah. So there's, so again, I'm, a, I am obsessed with seeing churches reach more people. I know church growth. When you hear that word, you think of like some guy in a conference hotel room from 1994 with tapes that he's selling at the back of the room. That's, that's what you think of when you think of that strategy. Yeah, wasn't good. Uh, that is uh, not the way to go. Not the way to go. Okay. Um, but you know, what has happened is uh, we think about church growth or we talk about church growth and we, and we might even kind of be self-congratulatory that like our church is growing, mm. 
but we're benchmarking against the wrong thing. We're benchmarking against ourselves. We're not benchmarking against the communities we're in. Wow. And that statistic uh, that our friends at Lifeway have dug out is that only 6% of the churches that in the country that are growing, or only 6% of the churches in the country are growing faster than the communities are in, which what, what does that mean? Only 6% of the churches are making gain, are gaining ground, that the gospel is gaining ground in the communities that they're in, which I think is what we're ultimately what we're talking about. And so we don't want to just grow because a lot of times growth uh, could just be transferring people from other communities. It could be just right, like, right. let's get people, let's make a, you know, like I heard a pastor once say, uh, we're not into sheep stealing, but we do have better grass. And I was like, that's a terrible way to think about it. Like we're that's not awful. trying to, yeah, it's awful. We don't want to do that. Um, but unfortunately there's, oh, and that was in like, let's name them out. <laughs> yeah, I know. We don't want to talk about that. Uh, but you know, they, uh, there are people that think that, right. That's like, I actually appreciated him saying that. Cause I think there's a lot of people that think that it's like, Hey, we'll yeah, just sure. kind of build a better mousetrap and we'll catch a bunch of Christ followers. Well, I'm not really interested in that. <laughs> you know, we want to, when I started ministry, I started ministry in the late eighties, early nineties, there was a statistic out there that between 1990 and 55 and 2050, that the half that the actual attendance of the church in America will be half of what it was in 2050 as it was in 1990. And while at the same time, the population will have doubled. So actually we will have gone down by a quarter, we'll be at the quarter of the influence we had. And so I'm passionate about that issue because I don't, it's like not on my watch. I don't want to contribute to the decline of the influence of the church of, of Jesus in our day. I just think we have to pay attention to that. And I, I don't mind actually saying we want our churches to grow. I think there's a weird thing in our, yeah, in our churches where we've convinced ourselves that small is somehow better, that it's like small is like, it's okay if things are, you know, it's okay if it's just me and 10 other people. Well, that That's actually not true. If you stay there, you're going to lose ground. If yeah. So the benchmark ultimately I'm trying to say to people is like, how fast is your community growing? Your church needs to be growing faster than that. Now, the sweet spot is to grow just faster than the growth, than the growth of your community. Like that's okay. the sweet spot. You don't, the fastest growing church I know. And I talk a lot to the churches that are fast growing church in the country. There's a lot of problems I've led in fast growing churches. Mm. There's a lot of problem in fast growing churches. We like it. It sounds great, but it's hard to actually sustain. I actually think a more reasonable thing is to sustain, you know, just faster than, you know, like 10% a year or something like that would be fantastic, man. If you could do that, that would be amazing and yeah. really sustainable. And you could, if you could do that over an extended period of time, there's a friend of mine in Omaha, uh, hey, Mitt, uh Omaha, Mark, Mark broadcasting from, <laughs> yes, from the, the, the world headquarters. Yeah. Um, Mark Chitwood, who leads yes. a church called Stonebridge, a fantastic church. He makes the joke. He's like, you know, churches, they talk about they're, they're the fastest growing church in the country. He makes the joke that they're the slowest growing church in the country. But basically what has happened is they've grown by 10% a year over an extended period of time. So they're, they're a sizable okay. church, a couple thousand people, two, 3000 people, but there never has there been this huge spike. It's just been consistent. I do think that's really a healthy way to grow. Man, a great well, way to honestly, grow we were just talking about this today. Like if yep. you go from a thousand to 2000, right? Which yep. would be just ridiculous growth. Then yep. you've got all these issues with staffing and volunteers. And if you could, 10% sounds like amazingly sustainable, like what yes. a great goal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think the piece of that, why I said that on the site is to get people to think two things. One, to stop benchmarking growth against yourself because it can feel good. You're like, oh, we have more people than last year. It's like, yeah, but the community just, and we've seen this over the last two years. One of the, definitely one of the things that's happened during the pandemic and post is the makeup of communities has changed. There's some yeah. communities are really swelling. And so we have to figure out what we're doing to, you know, grow faster than that. And then the other thing is to try to 
you know, encourage us to be growing at a healthy rate. That's really an intimidating number because, you know, I'm from Florida, I'm in Orlando Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, a thousand people a day move into Florida. Yes. And I'm like, oh gosh, you know, that's a yep. intimidating number. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, my family of four moved out of Florida yesterday to help with those statistics. Thank you so much. If Chris, more people would move out of Florida, sure that would really... Is that, was that just to get farther away from him? Was that what's going on there? <laughs> and yet somehow he's right. The benchmarks are important. I'm also like, just from my brain thinking about, I think there's an unhealthy thing with giving right now that, oh, our giving stayed flat. Okay, mm. but inflation's gone crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, yes. your giving's flat. That's not bad kind of comparatively yeah. to most. It's yes. a, a win, but it's also, it's, ah, so uh, yeah, interesting. The statistics from 1990 to 2050, Rich, have those, have those um, accelerated even more? And, and have we already seen that happen? I feel like I've seen statistics that have shown like average church attendance that used to be 130 uh, 20, 25 years ago. Now it's like 65, 70. Yeah, so it's definitely accelerating. That yeah. particular study, they haven't kind of refreshed to compare to do apples to apples, but it is sure. even just anecdotally, we see that, you know, it, it that, you know, we do see that the average attendance in a church continues to go down. It's interesting you say that about, I want to loop back on something you said there about the giving thing, which I know is not really what we're talking about today. Sure. Yeah. But, but there's an interesting thing there. I think that, di- so we've, we've moved everybody online, yep. uh, which right. is wonderful. Right. And if I can speak a little too plainly for a minute, hopefully this doesn't offend any listeners. Please, we say very offensive things on this podcast yes. often. So we like yes. the online giving thing yes. because we don't have to work for it. So it, yes. the money, the money shows up. It like it's, if we get people on recurring giving. That's great. Mm. Um, which frankly saved a lot of our churches, right? It was like, yeah. there was, if totally. we didn't do that, we wouldn't have stayed open through you know the pandemic absolutely but we we have a new challenge now which is people have got a set it and forget it mindset right it's yes. they, and unlike netflix who i every time i turn around i'm like netflix increases how they're they're oh. charging us right. we have to be figuring out how we actively get back out to our donors which gets to the discipleship question Good. moving people online was a fundraising issue but actually increasing their giving is a discipleship issue it's actually more of where are people's hearts actually at where are they what's actually happening to them and and i would encourage listeners that have taken the the fundraising step which is fine yeah it's like you've done the the marketing thing to like okay you should give online that's the beginning that's like table stakes that's good but now we've got to ask the, the question how are we encouraging people to actually live a generous lifestyle mm. um and and not shy away from that conversation we have to figure out how to do that in this current context i yeah, love that no that that's a great point though exactly what you said you know we lost so many people but here's the other challenge too right it's like mm-hmm. so many people got comfortable doing church at home Yes. And and I have people come to me all the time. They're like, wow, I really loved your sermon today. I was online. It's just so much easier. I can have an egg sandwich and a mimosa and watch you from my couch. You <laughs> know, and, uh, as you do in Florida, mimosas yeah, for breakfast. Mimosas yeah. all around. On Sunday. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> That's why a thousand That's people true. are moving there a day, I guess. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> egg sandwiches. Yeah, I love it. Yes. Love it. Um, yeah, Rich, so you wrote a book, Church Growth Flywheel. I actually did mm-hmm. your online course for it too. And it was so great. It was awesome. Oh, um, be- here's what I love about you. A couple things I like a lot about you, but never I like that the, I, I don't say this about <laughs> I like you because you're like a stat guy. I'm a stat guy too. But yeah. what I love about Church Growth Flywheel is it's like it's simple and practical things that mm. people can implement right away um, and doesn't take doctorate degrees. And so mm. I really, uh, I, I love that course and the book that went along with it. 
um, because it, it just kind of brought me back to really basic, simple things that you were saying. Mm-hmm. One of the, uh, the phrases that you use in there that I want to expound a little bit more and you to share with us, because I think this works so well on an individual and also a church level, uh, the, the number one church uh, factor for church growth, mm-hmm. I think you made this word up, is <laughs> invitability. Yes. Oh. Invitability. Yes. Um, yes. Why is that? And tell us more about that and, and like how we can have that culture individually and collectively. Wait a second. Can I take a guess at this? Because I have, I have yes. no idea what you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> sure. Invitability. This is our podcast, so we can do what we want. It's so true. let me see. So you said that you said that uh, the, the key, number one yeah. factor in church growth is invitability. Okay. So I have to just take a stab at the dark. If you have people that aren't inviting people to your church, you're never going to grow. So you got to have people who are inviting people to church because it's too easy to get passive (laughs) and just sit there and eat the gospel sandwich and not do anything because you've already set up your recurring gifts online. And you're just mimosas. And you're sandwiches and mimosas. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. So the big picture, you know, the local church is the only organization in the world that that exists for people who aren't here yet. Mm. Like every other organization in the world exists for its members. Now, the, the, the problem with that is, um, we will naturally drift towards an insider focus. Churches naturally drift towards it's about us. Yeah. And once we do that, that's like a death knell. That's like, we are, we, we, we become a country club. We don't become a church. And so we hammer on invitability or I hammer on invitability because that really is, it's the intersection of two things. It's your church is doing things that the people in your church are going to talk to their friends about, Hey, you should come to my church because X that Mm -hmm. you're, and, and you're talking about things that are relevant to them. You're engaged in activities that are relevant to your community. And that really is what we, that's really the difference. And then on top of that, what we, what we do, and we see this in the difference between, you know, fast growing and stagnant churches, fast growing churches arm people or equip people with tools, with motivation, with, um, you know, all kinds of resources to help them invite their friends. They don't just leave it up to happenstance. It's not just like, well, if it's good enough, they'll invite their friends. No, no, that's not what fast growing churches do. They actually think about what can we do? How do we, how do we motivate them? What resources do we need to give? What can we put in their hands? What resources can we email to them? How do we keep in front of them and keep communicating with them? Like, Hey, you should be inviting your friends. Um, it's, it's super important. It's, it's a critically important piece. You mentioned, uh, that fast growing churches, empower their people to invite and they do resources. What are some of the best resources you've seen in some of these fast growing churches that actually encourage members to ask other people to come to church? So it starts with something as simple as what are you talking about on Sunday morning at your church? There was a study done a few years ago, uh, 2000, I think 2019 is when it came out by the Gallup organization. And they, they surveyed people who were attending, um, all kinds of different religious organization. So it wasn't just Christian. And they asked the question, why do you come to this thing? Why, why do you go to this? And 71% of people said that the reason why they go to their religious gathering or their church is because of the teaching. It's because of actually what the church is talking about. Um, and the, and particularly when you drill into the statistics, the two things that came out about it was it was based on scripture. So it was actually based on the Bible. That was actually what people said. It was like based on yeah. what it, it's not just made up. It's not just like airy fairy, like because it rhymes, it's true kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then the second is it applies to my life that I can, it actually makes a difference to me on Monday morning. 
people said when that's the reason why I keep coming back. And so something as simple as how do we think about what we're talking about on the weekend through the lens of how do we make this invitable for the people in our communities? What's in it for them? It doesn't mean that you need to do some people uh, think like, oh, that means you need to do only like, uh, you know, subject oriented, like felt need preaching. No, no, that's not, that's not what the lesson is, but you do, you do need to start with what does your, what are the needs in our community? How do we frame what we're talking about in a way that captures their imagination? People will talk to, how does that get back to invitability? People will talk to their friends about what you're talking about as a church. If they perceive that it had, that it, is actually going to make a difference in the life of the people around you. So let me give, let me give you an example. Yeah. Let's say you're, you know, a lot of times, maybe in like the new year, uh, right now it's, you know, here we are in the summertime. You should be thinking three to six months out. So maybe you're thinking about the new year. You're thinking about January. What series should we do in January? There is a groundswell in the world around us. Every January, people have this like a new you thinking. They're like, yeah, I'm, yeah, this yeah. is the year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be whatever. Jeb. <laughs> yeah. There's like a ton of things in scripture that you could start with. There's books that you could start with. Like, hey, um, we're going to start a book study on the book of John and talk to you about, you know, you want to start a new year? Well, let's talk about, you know, we're going to spend the next eight weeks just talking about the book of John because it's like an insert why it's such a fantastic thing for folks. All we need to do is start with what's in it for me. What is in it for the people in our community? And then you have to go the distance to connect the dots for your people to say, hey, we know that many of your friends and family at this time of year are wrestling with uh, what, you know, what, how, how can this year be different? How could 2023 be different than any other year? Well, we're kicking off a series on January 12th called a new year, new you. And yeah. this is why you should invite them. It's amazing how many churches don't draw that connection to people. They say, we're starting a new series for you called, you know, a new you, a new, you know, what a new year or whatever. And it's like, no, no, it's not about you. It's about your friends. You always want to drive it back to how does this actually apply to your friends? So something as simple as that, there's a lot we could talk about, but that something that's a foundation one, a massive one. I love it. So yeah, thinking through, and I think we spend so much time like planning and getting ready for the Sunday services, even the sermon series that we frame. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, just that one or two lines of this is why we're doing this. Mm -hmm. uh, we want you to be excited about our church. And it, I, mm -hmm. even say, like, we want you to invite others. We And so mm -hmm. <laughs> I've, I've put it on the people before, like, if there's anything we can ever do that, that would make this a church that would make you uh, help you want to invite your friends. Like we want to know that because yeah. at the end yes. of the day, free iPads. I love it. Like, free. Yes. Yes. well, I'll, I'll give you an example of a church. Yeah. There's a church in uh, Philadelphia called Epic church and they okay. do what they call Epic days. And, um, the, the, they're like, in some ways, I think the quintessential, what makes a great invitable day. So the interesting thing about invitability is you want, think about it from the mind of the people that attend your church. You want them to know exactly what's going to happen at that day. So when they go and tell their friend, Hey, when you come to church, this is what, this is why you should come to church. And this is what's going to happen. And so one of the things I love that they do at Epic Day, they do a bunch of that. Like everyone that comes, you get a free t-shirt. They literally do that. Like, hey, everyone gets a free t-shirt and you can only get it if you're here on Epic Day. They do special stuff for kids on that day, petting goats, maybe, um, you know, they do whatever. They do that kind of stuff. But actually one of the, the parts that I think is genius about what they do, which is a driver to the growth of Epic Day, is they say, listen, our lead pastor is going to preach the clearest presentation of the gospel on this day that he ever has 
has preached. You've Don't heard you him preach before. Any of the other days. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know exactly what he's going to say. So if you have a friend who you want to make sure uh, hears the the message of Jesus, this is the day to get them here. And it's the That's same. Awesome. This is a part of what the mechanics behind why Easter and Christmas are our big invite days because yeah. people know they have a sense. It's not just that those are days that people want to invite their friends. The, the psychology dynamics behind it is I know that they're going to talk about this thing on that day. And so you, you don't, you don't, you have to actually deliver on that. You actually want yeah. to give a preview and then actually make that happen. So that's a, an example. Yeah. So one of the things I, I, I read in, or I saw in your course, which I thought was just so great is so obviously there's the Christmas, there's the Easter. Um, one of the things you put in there to increase your invitability is as pastors or church leaders, we should invent big Sundays. <laughs> and so you, those are Christmas and Easter are invitable Sundays. Yes. And so what if we invented more um, mm -hmm. in the year? And yep. so talk to me about that. Like, what, what do you mean by inventing big Sundays? What can we do outside of those two big ones like, um, to, like, to invite, to give our people a chance to invite? Like Easter too or Christmas too? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know, there are churches that, and so Epic's a good example of that in yeah, Philly. Epic they Epic's actually, their Epic days are, and they do two a year, one in, uh, January and then one in September. I think okay. in September it might be August. Um, so the you know there is a um, so yeah the the epic days are they're massive days and they're bigger than actually Christmas and Easter. A question. So what what do we mean by big days? There are three or four days a year that are naturally. Yeah. days that are high attendance. And so typically Christmas and Easter, but then what you need to do is go back and look at your attendance pattern, say over the last five or six years. Oftentimes Mother's Day is one, although when I was at Liquid Church in New Jersey, it was not for years. We said our, our slogan was, um, we're not, uh, you know, we're not your mama's church. So surprisingly, you know, people don't show up. That's what you got. Um, so you don't get high attendance on Mother's you Day. You don't get high attendance on Mother's Day because when you say that. But then, we, so one of the things we found over the years, which is a little bit humbling, was actually our third highest attended day was the day in the fall where the time changes. Now, I know that's all going away, but that's a bit odd, right? You're like, why is that? Now, the the, the irony to that is, and it's a little bit humbling because it's like, if we just gave people an extra hour of sleep, apparently yeah. they would show up uh, <laughs> to church. Right. Um, another one is actually the day in the spring when we, the times used to change and, um, actually the church I'm, I'm back at Connexus now in Canada. And one of the things yeah. they do there is they, um, actually do this pajama jam thing, which is for their kids ministry. And they say, Hey, we know your kids are going to have an hour less sleep. So instead of fighting that, let's actually make a big deal about that. Have your kids show up in pajamas. We'll do like a big, you know, pajama party. We'll have, you know, breakfast for everybody, all that kind of stuff. So what are we doing on those days? We're just gathering together. Um, a series of really invitable hooks. They're things, they're, again, from our mind, they're things that our people would tell their friends about. Well, what are things that we could do on those days that would encourage people to attend uh, church? I love that. Yeah, From and from my vantage point, we've done things like, so if, if, if before Christmas, like, like let's have an ugly sweater Sunday. Um, that gives mm -hmm. people an opportunity to show up and invite and share pictures. Uh, kids Halloween, like let's have them dress up in costumes and then let's drop eggs from a helicopter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. They're, they're invitable. It gives people an opportunity to share it. Um, baptism Sundays, I think are, are, uh, really important events for inventing big Sundays. It gives people that are being baptized an opportunity to invite friends and family and neighbors. And so I, I love that you encourage us to think about inventing big Sundays. It doesn't have to be two a year. Like, 
growing churches yeah, but- probably are doing eight to ten a year that there's something different about it and, mm-hmm. and I, I love the coming back to invitability because that to me is so simple but i also mm-hmm. think it's so brilliant that we just need to hear that like how can we make our places uh, more invitable and i think individually then um, that gives us a chance as disciples, no matter where we're at in life, if we're not a pastor, church leader, mm-hmm. um, to talk about our church and give mm-hmm. people the opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's just so cool. So, yeah, and there, you know, our friends at Elevation have done this for years. They do um, so every year. It, their kind of fall run starts in August, and they do Love Week every year, which is a giant community outreach where they do. It's probably millions of community service hours now um, where they get their people out of their seats and into the streets to make a difference in their community. And then they celebrate that on Sunday, which happens to be kind of the launch of their falls. So they launch a series on that day. They do uh, Pastor Stephen, their lead guy is usually away for a month before that. Um, and so it's kind of his kickoff to whatever his big fall series is and all of that. Um, that's an example of making up. There's no reason to attend church on the first, second weekend in August, uh, but they've created a reason uh, and it's become a, a regular part. Again, it's predictable. It, the thing that's great about Love Week is people like to be a part of something that makes a difference. They will. They may not talk about other things in your church, but in that case, they're like, I want to talk about the fact that my church is serves in the community. And then why don't you come and serve with me at this thing? And then we'll come back on Sunday where they have a big celebration about it. Um, so again, it's thinking about how we can, what, what can we do that our people will ultimately tell their friends? Um, this is why I don't like church marketing because church marketing says just do Facebook ads or drop a bunch of flyers. Yeah. And it's actually has nothing to do with your people at all. You, and it's very, it's tempting because you sit mm-hmm. in your office, you can make this decision all by yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not actually about mo- moving your people, motivating them and discipling them. Cause I would say this is, this isn't evangelism. It's like the pre-step to evangelism. It's like, you know, I, I understand that asking people to come to my church is, is one piece of the evangelism puzzle. It's not all, it's not all, it's not the whole story. But it's like, if I can get everybody doing that, then I can move some of those people to then actually to actually begin engaging conversations with people um, more than, you know, than your average church would see. Yeah. yeah, that's what always irritated me as a small group, like leader who was guiding a bunch of small group teams. People would mm-hmm. say, they'd come up with a great idea for a small group. And then they'd come to me and they'd say, uh, okay, so advertise it in the church bulletin. I'm like, no, dude, that's not how it works. Like, yes, you yes. can't just put a Facebook ad out and not make a phone call and then come back to me and say, I only have two people in my small group. I, yes, yes, yeah. exactly. Come on. Exactly. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. totally. Right. I love it. So I recently saw that you said the church you feel like right now is at an inflection point. Uh, what mm-hmm. do you mean by that? And why do you feel that way? Well, a part of this is just through, so I talked to church leaders yeah, almost every day and all across the country. And, you know, I joke friends like Warren Bird, who I, uh, who's like a researcher with, you know, ECFA. He's fantastic. He, he's like an actual expert, has like actual statistics. I have just conversations with people and stories. Mm-hmm. And I do feel like retirement again, I hear from church leaders in this season who are saying, you know what? We spent the last two years thinking about rebuilding. We were obsessed with trying to get people to come back and people have pivoted beyond that. And they say, you know what? Now we just have to get back to building. We just have to get back to, you know, we're not thinking about, we have 74 or or we're trying not to think about, we have 75% of the people that we're at where we were before. You know, the statistics are that, you know, we seem to be saying the average story is that churches are seeing about, they've seen kind of 75% of their people return. But if you dig into those statistics, 
Lots of churches are saying that 25% of the people that are attending their in-person services today were not attending their churches two years mm. ago, mm. Um, which is incredible. And intuitively, that helps out. Like I, I talk to church leaders all the time who say, I stand in the lobby at my church. I look around, and I'm like, I'm not sure who these people are. Like all these new people have shown up. Well, you know what that means? That means we've got to get about... Uh, connecting people, getting them, assimilating them, getting them into groups, yeah. helping them grow, helping them plug into the teaching of Jesus. Help, you know, that's exciting stuff. That's like, and and it might be that we have a whole groundswell of that that we 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 are applying an old system that was used to, you know, trickles of people, five percent, ten percent a year, and it's like our churches might have, you know. Uh, 20, 30% of the people that we've got to figure out how do we get them plugged in? If we don't do that, those people will fade away. You know, our Tony, our friend, Tony Morgan saw that in the statistics he looked at that actually church attendance dropped in 2021 over 2020 that, and, and his, he surmises this exact same thing that it's what's happening is we're not capturing these people. We're not actually getting them plugged in. We're not moving them into relationship. They came asking questions about God and all they did was find us instead of actually finding a true relationship with Jesus. And so we've got to, we got to double down. Now's the season. Yeah. And this is a part of why, and I know this is not an ad for what you do at Red Letter. But I love what you guys do at Red Letter because I think it's a really practical, let's do a 40-day challenge. Let's mm. let's push everybody to say, how do we get 80, 90% of our adults into groups in this season? And how do we challenge them with, if it's your core campaign around the teaching of Jesus or if it's on forgiveness, it's a way at scale to actually uh, move people into discipleship conversations, which I, which is proven, you know, and you guys know this way better than I, you know, tons of people who connect with you guys connect with what you're doing, actually take the steps to enter into a growing relationship with Jesus. I, I'm like, I don't know. Now's the perfect time to yep. pull the trigger on that kind of thing. You should be doing that this fall. If you do not do one of these challenges, you should be doing it this fall, or if not this fall, Mark that. for sure at the beginning of the new year. And I, I listen, I don't, you, I really do believe that you've heard me say that to leaders yeah. when we're not recording. I, I think that this challenge thing, it's a scalable way to move people on mass into discipleship oriented conversations. Yeah. Um, man, I, and I think now's the time to do it. If we don't do it, it's yeah. an inflection point and we'll, we'll lose, we'll lose people for sure. On a larger scale for that. Like I think that what I've seen and heard you say as well is so lots of new people are awesome that's a good problem to have but yes. like we need to figure out like what i say is play offense not defense and mm. i've heard you talk a lot about the importance of assimilation and next steps and and i yep. think that's the the root word challenge there i think the asking the challenging is sometimes the piece that we're missing missing is mm -hmm. people aren't taking next steps not because they won't it's because we're not asking them we're not challenging mm -hmm. them it's not clear enough and so i think mm -hmm. Gosh, what I'm hearing in you with that, it's there's some I'm really encouraged that there are that many new people coming and mm -hmm. I'm challenged and hopefully our mm -hmm. listeners are too to figure out then how can we move those people and challenge and ask them in a clear way to assimilate them to then jump into the next step and let's see what God does. And that's always how God works is when people jump into the next steps. And so uh, I love it. All right, Rich, I've got the question that we ask every guest on the way out. Yes. And Chris has got uh, some fun uh, trivia with you um, that we're going to see how well you know. We're going to see if you're really, if a, you're Canadian. really a Canadian. Or nice. Not. Oh, so love it. Out. Celine Dion. That's the answer. I think you are. <laughs> you're right. Um, so we're going <laughs> to give him an opportunity to... Uh... So here we go. Uh, but before we get to his, um, ah, yes. I was... 
we're all about challenging people. It's what we just talked about. Mm-hmm. And so I ask every guest if you could challenge our audience with one thing that would help them grow practically as a disciple, one thing they can do this week. What is the challenge that you want to lay down? Well, I'll turn your question around. I've been listening to your podcast and I love it. So I I, I love it. And and so um, I'll say one thing that we're trying to live out in our life right now, which is um, inconvenient hospitality. Mm. I think the, <laughs> that's awesome. To, to be a follower of Christ is about creating space for the stranger. It's about creating space for the other. And over these last couple of years, we have really lived with ourselves. You know, we've, we've been with a small circle, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think we've lost some of that. And so, um, you know, my wife, and this is, listen, I don't know about you guys, but like the voice of my wife and the voice of God, they sound very close together. Like, <laughs> and, and she, she, we, she, you know, we've been talking about this and she's like, Hey, I really do think this is one of those things we've got to, you know, we've got to be open to. And so we've been thinking about it and praying about it and looking for opportunities to go out of our way, to create you know, to be hospitable. I'll give you an example. Chill. Yeah, yeah, please. You're busy. I'm busy. Yeah. And yesterday, somebody from our small group who were in, you know, the small group relationship there were in a new small group in this season. She texts my wife and she's like, ah, oh, I'm having problem. I think I've got birds in my attic. Um, right. Is there any way you could come? I know this is like a huge ask, but my husband, he, he works ship work. He's, could you come over and do that? Now, normally, could you help? Mm. And I normally I would be like, Oh, I'm really busy. Not like, like yeah, I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not called to attic bird watching. <laughs> um, but then, you know what I realized? That's actually not, that's not community. Community is about inconvenient hospitality. It's being, it's actually having friends that have enough close enough relationship to say, can you drop what you're doing and come help me? And so, you know, we went over there and which was great. And, and sure enough, we helped close up and I, I don't I have no idea what I'm did doing. Did you get the bird out? Well, I'm up on a big ladder. We actually did. It was actually, it all worked out and the, the birds were away, which was good. We closed up where they're coming in. Okay. Um, but but I, I think that, how does that co- connect to the challenge? I think we all can, in this season, we need to push ourselves in our relationships. And this isn't as church leaders, as people who are attending, what do we, what do we need to do to kind of push beyond ourselves, to push beyond just the comfortable community and say, no, actually, I got to find ways to find you know, inconvenient that I'm, I'm helping other people. I'm reaching out, I'm doing things. Uh, cause I think the, the faith is ultimately about, uh, living that out in, in real life. It's, it's, you know, faith in action. So that would be my challenge for people. All right. Today. So challenge is this week to do one thing. Yep. You're like, you can do more than one if you well, want, but one, one way inconveniently that you're going to be hospitable to somebody I love that. in your world. And Hey, if you're doing the challenges along with the podcast, hashtag red letter disciple anywhere on social media, on our YouTube, we're doing this on video as well. Uh, we'd love to see that one time. Zach, Rich, that was awesome. All right, Chris, what one you got? Time Zach, uh, rented, uh, a food truck. Never mind. All right, let's go. Uh, here we go. Uh, now we're going to find out right now, Rich, if you are a real Canadian, or if you're actually an American. <laughs> okay, so let me tell you this. So I, I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a good definitive test for me. So I, yeah. like I said, I'm born and raised in Canada, worked here a bunch, have spent we'll a lot of time in the States. We'll and so I get it on both sides. When I talk to Canadian leaders, they're like, you seem like you're American. Yeah. But then when I talk to Can- Americans, they're like, you're Canadian, aren't you? So I'm looking forward to finally, we'll have the def- definitive test. This is the definitive test. I'm looking forward to it. So you don't even know what you are. No, I don't, don't even know. know. Who knows? Oh, this is <laughs> don't know. This breaking news, right. folks. And yes. I, so we are going to test you on some key Canadian facts. Okay. Right? okay. And United <laughs> States. Let's, let's start right here. Let's start right here. 
which has a longer or a higher life expectancy, a Canadian or American? Who has a longer life expectancy? Canadian, because of the socialized medicine. 81.2. That's right. <laughs> Canadians live 81 years, even with their poutine. As to well, maybe that's why. Maybe it's poutine. Maybe it's poutine. Yeah, All right. It could be. You are one for Those one. Those that eat poutine have a three-year longer life expectancy. We just found out. So that's amazing. far, you are 100% Canadian. Here we go. Nice. Um, who has a higher birth rate? Is it the United <laughs> States or Canada? Birth rate. I'm not even sure. What does that mean? Like, like how many babies per thousand people? I'm going to say America. That's right. Wow. Nice. 13.8 babies for every thousand people opposed to Canada. So I got a question about the Super game. Cool. Right. So he just answered a question correct about America. Yeah. So he's 50 50. Oh, so that makes him yeah, America. He's 50 50. <laughs> prove he's Canadian. He yeah. should have got that one wrong. Yeah. This is so weird. Well, who knows? That's very strange. Yeah. All exactly. Right. What do Canadians call Coca Cola, the generic form? Uh, pop. That's right. Canadians nice. do call it pop. That's right. Yes. Whereas pop. in America, we call it soda. Soda. Right. Unless you're in Minnesota, actually. Yeah, Minnesota, yes, they call it pop. South Canada, honestly. No, you Minnesota. shouldn't have said that, Rich, because now you're trying to be American. <laughs> and it's really confusing. Who has a larger land mass? Is it Canada or the United States? Yeah, this isn't easy. That's a softball, Canada. That's right. 3.8 <laughs> million square feet comp uh, compared to 3.7. All right. Here oh, that's go. pretty close, actually. Here you go. Mm -hmm. Where are you ready, Rich? Mm -hmm. This is double jeopardy. This is the big one. Okay, double this jeopardy. Is pretty, this is pretty. <laughs> this took a lot of research. <laughs> Where was the telephone invented? <laughs> Brantford, Ontario, Canada. Which, wow. Well, which, you know what, uh, you know what, Brantford also has the, you know, it's a fun little community. You know what it also, huh? it's claim to fame is yeah. it's the hometown of the hockey legend, Wayne Gretzky. Oh, wow. And now you're just showing off. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. That's great, guys. Um, so fun. Wait, last one, last one, last one. Yes. This is it. Triple Jeopardy. Okay. Where was the zipper invented? America or Canada? Canada. That's right. If it wasn't for Canadians, we would be pulling our shirts and jackets off because we couldn't figure it out. <laughs> Bathrooms would be inconvenient. No zippers. I'm just no saying. Zippers. Yes. There, yeah. Where would we be without? Thank you, Canada. Uh, Canada. Canada. <laughs> so you, so I guess that proves you're mixed, but it's 85%. Yeah, Canadian. you're 85%. Good. I'll yeah. take that. I'll take that. that out today. So you learned <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> hey, Richmond, you're a blessing and you help so many churches uh, reach so many people. I think it's going to be amazing one day for you to be in heaven and hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. and, and to see all the fruit that sometimes in this world we get to see pieces of it, but not all of it. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're a, you're a blessing. You've been a real encouragement to me. And so uh, thanks for being on the show in the mm -hmm. first season. Mm -hmm. uh, if people want to know more, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, you, they could just send them to unseminary. What's that? Sorry. Your home address. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Unseminary. I'll give you Carrie's home address. Uh, just un unseminary.com. Uh, yeah, that's where everything is. The podcast. We do a weekly podcast uh, similar to this. We're, although we don't do seasons. I should have done that. When I started, we didn't do that. So we're just 52 weeks a year. Uh, but uh, there's that, you know, blogcast or blogcast, blog posts and courses, all that stuff. We'd love, just go to unseminary.com. We'd love to. Awesome to let people see that. 
Awesome. And cool. he, he does some great cohorts and mm-hmm. coaching as well uh, in, in the church growth space, discipleship, executive pastor. So Rich, you're, you're a blessing, dude. I appreciate you, man. Thanks, guys. Cheering for you. Love Red Letter. Here's what I love about Rich. He is a data junkie like me, (laughs) and I'm always challenged by him. Like that word, invitability, the first time I heard him say it, I I realized it really is the key to church growth. How do we create environments that that our people are excited to invite others in in so many different ways? And so if you want to go deeper with Rich or get more info on what he talked about, go on over to redletterpodcast.com and you can see the show notes and links to everything. A, A special link there that he talked about is the Church Growth Flywheel Masterclass. Um, this is a class that he offers. It's, it's something that I've taken uh, years back. And, and, and I, if you take it seriously, I guarantee you, you will learn some things that will help you grow your church. And so I highly, highly suggest jumping into the Church Growth Flywheel Masterclass. And if you do it, send Rich an email saying that you joined from Red Letter Disciple. Speaking of things I highly suggest, please, please, please sign up for the webinar all about funding your vision. Our season one partner, The Giving Church, you can go to their website, thegivingchurch.com slash red, and there you can get all the info on the webinar, the details, and register there. It's going to be awesome. We're going to give you loads of free stuff and also just incredible knowledge and expertise from Phil Ling, president of The Giving Church. Next week is episode 11, and we're going back-to-back Canadians. It's actually our third one in this season. What's going on. We've got an author and world-renowned speaker, Danielle Strickland, joining our show. Danielle is an incredible communicator, one of my favorites, and she's going to tell us the secret to discipleship. Ah, I think you're going to love that answer. And, and, And also, in all seriousness, in the past few months, scandal has broken out at her former church at the meeting house in Canada where she was a pastor. Uh, sexual abuse has been uncovered and the abuse victim of all people sought out Danielle to confide in and tell her her story. And so I asked Danielle, like, how do you become a person who is a safe place for someone who has been abused or a victim? It's a really worthwhile, challenging conversation, and it's coming next Tuesday. Uh, so follow, subscribe on your favorite streaming platform, and it'll show up. And so we will see you next Tuesday. A Huda Media Production.